0: long like if you want to get like a piece of kind of I a Hello, and welcome to Blackbot's Green Room, a podcast presented by Dirty Rascals. In this series, we give writers a chance to air their dirty laundry, otherwise known as their bottom of the drawer plates. As always, I'm with my co-host, Mr. Daniel Spiso. Hello. That's Dan. Uh, And our writer this week is also Dan, uh, but Dan Cook. How are you doing, Dan? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for for being part of this weird experiment that we're doing. So, um, Dan, today we are looking at one of your plays, um, which is called Puddle.
1: Puddle, yeah, Puddle. Puddle came out of a phase when I was, like, I was traveling for a while and wanted to write something kind of, I wanted to write a big thing, but I thought to do that, I needed to write it based on real experiences, Um, which doesn't really explain what Puddle is now, (laughs) but at at the beginning, it started off as trying to write, like I was in a taxi, an eight hour taxi in Myanmar. And I thought I'd use that time to try and just knock something out nonstop, just write something. And it was a screenplay initially, based on me returning home. So I I used all real people in it to begin with, just so I could write from real people that I knew and just not have to think about creating character. It was just the characters were there. I would just write it. And then it was basically me going home at like a Christmas break from like uni or something. One by one, picking up certain friends who also would return home from their various universities, each of which I had various levels of closeness to at that point, some very close, some more distant at that point. So it became like, one by one, picking them up in a car and then going to town would be the thing. Town was the, the, the goal and then on the way we would encounter a, a big puddle which would prevent us from getting to town and then that would be the source of everything that the piece was about. Yeah. Cool. And, and how
0: how recently have you worked on it? Like was this, so you wrote something in an eight hour trip in a, yeah. in a cab. So I
1: wrote it like with laptop on knee in the front seat of a very small uncomfortable hot <laughs> taxi <laughs> through the bobbly streets of Myanmar, right? Um, and I probably got I got I got quite a lot written. I got in all the way up to when they got to the puddle, at which point I realized I had no idea if they would go into the puddle or what the puddle was going to be, or what after the puddle would be. So I had about I've had about thirty or forty pages written of just like small talk <laughs> of why of of the people who know my writing. It's just very me esque small talk of just yeah. Whether it was good or not, not for me to say in any way. Probably very n- not good. Um, but yeah. And then you reworked that as a stage project. How recently was that or how much That was just that? after I got back. That was, it's probably not too long ago. It's probably like, it's probably only about nine months ago. But I probably spent like a week or two doing it. And then kind of just gave up on it. I think I sent no. it into one competition thing. No. For like with some small theater kind of scratch night. And then... I was very unemployed, and going through some stuff at the time, and then just kind of, yeah, didn't hear back, and just like
0: parked it. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. in in this version of Puddle, what is the what is the activity or like what happens?
1: Um, so basically, I had to break it down from being like a six character thing to something that would be achievable to make. So I, in my head, I was like, in update three characters. So it was me and then the other main character, which are kind of semi-real, exaggerated versions of me and one of my friends. And then I boiled down all the other characters into one character called Chest, who is basically, so the main character is essentially a version of me, so we'll call him Cook. And the other character, Chest, is a representation of what he wants his old school friends to think of him in this kind of exaggerated persona. Of like what he needs them to think of him, what his kind of what he needs them to, like the like a kind of respect that he wants them to give him, but in a very caricatured, mashed together form. Right. Um, so it was meant to be very exaggerated, very just like monotone, just kind of this chess person. If if you sat down and talked to them, you just it would be a terrible conversation kind of thing. Um, I don't know. So that was kind of became the most fun part of it. Was just trying to capture a lot of people I've not spoken to in like twelve years and essentially don't really like as people. Um, Just to kind of... But then then give them some importance in relation to the main character and what he needed them to... Yeah. So it's kind of a... That was the most fun part of it, I think. Okay. I think let's take that opportunity to listen to a clip so we give uh,
0: the audience some idea of what we're talking about with all those characters.
2: We're not going in. It's freezing, man. Oh, it's freezing, is it? Who are you? The thermometer? Monitor. Yeah, Tom. You're the... Thermometer monitor now, is that it? Always have to be monitoring the thermometers, don't you? Give it a break. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, I don't know. It's not icy or anything, is it? I could go in. You're not going in. You could go in, though. Right, look at it. It's perfect. It's a perfect fucking puddle. Like, we have to go in. I mean, what if... What if it doesn't have a bottom? Of course it has a bottom, Cook. It's a puddle. Puddles have bottoms. Yeah, and that's a fact, is it? Who died and made you the king of puddles? Cook, do not go in the puddle. Tom... Why not? Because it's a puddle, cook. That's not a reason. Okay, let's do this. Reasons:
1: it's wet, it's cold, it's dark, it's filthy, it's a colossal fuck off puddle, mate. And what about town? Cool.
0: Yeah. So first thing, these are written for northern voices, right? So written for northern. Is <laughs> it weird? It must be weird hearing it in southern accents, because obviously, like we we have the actors that we have. We are unfortunately down in the south.
1: But like, how yeah. is that? Does that make a big difference to you? I, th- I think so. Yeah. It's it's strange to hear. Just in terms of the rhythm, mm. I think I tried to write quite accurate to what the rhythm height would actually be said in a kind of quite repetitive and people saying things back to each other and things like that. It's, yeah, so it's, it's unusual to hear in a kind of slower, more pronounced. Can you unpack that? Because yeah. I know, like, having worked on you,
0: worked one of your plays before, work yeah. on you, I haven't worked on you. Um, I would like to. No, <laughs> um, yeah, having worked one of your plays before, and I know that, like, there is something about northern accent which is really important to you. And it'd be interesting to hear because obviously like, you know, without getting too like uh political about it or whatever, but people talk about the importance of like diversity of voices on stages and just like the specificity of why this needs to be in that voice. What is it about that? Is it just because it's home? Is it because it's people that you know? Or is there something about that like things in that accent or things in that way of speaking that is that functions for you in a different way? Um
1: I think it is a lot about home but that could be anywhere, for anyone really. But um, in terms of this, it was more about going, because it was kind of set in the, someone who's going back home after being away for a while, in a place where they're meeting up with the people who have also potentially, some of them have stayed, some of them have left as well. But then, like, reapproaching those kind of things they thought they might have left behind, but with the baggage that they've attained since then, with the kind of more adult problems that they're dealing with, and then trying to get some kind of understanding of who they are bounce back to them off these people and then some of them just completely don't understand that's sort what of chess is trying to represent it's just like you've gone completely different paths it's not even you could never have that kind of any kind of connection with that but yeah yeah it was, i think so i think the northernness is important but probably just for me but that's again probably quite in terms of it yeah I don't I, know I think that's
0: something interesting that you're talking about where like the idea of like going home and like going home in in like literature like and just in general being a theme of like that idea of going back to something you know and that comfort but then you know when you've gone through a sort of uh, a stage of growing up away from home and you come back and actually there's a inability to connect even though all the components are there like that there isn't actually a proper chance to yeah to actually talk to
1: people in a meaningful way what? Yeah, so that's what I tried to capture with the the line. that was at the end of that clip, which was like, um, "But what about town?" It was like that was the. But then the line that comes after that is, "Mate, we're way past town," which is meant to just like like no, we're like we're dealing with this now, and because I've got a very clear picture of where it is set mm. on like a country road in the Combe Valley in Yorkshire. Is it a specific road? Yeah, kind of. You can kind of see Huddersfield off in the distance. Kind of, I just imagine this like yeah, big puddle lit by like the hazard lights of the car that's pop- they've just got out of, that's made it impassable. Oh, there you go, bit of bit of image there. there for the setting the scene. Setting the scene. But I feel I feel like I I kind of feel like a sense of that I need to explain something to kind of give people a bigger picture of what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the cook character in this has kind of because basically for the play version it is essentially um, act two of what would be a three part thing with the after the puddle bit being the third act and the first bit was just like the the picking people up and getting to the puddle so this is them are like arriving at the puddle so the play is essentially the act two of a three-part thing mm-hmm. it is the transition like the puddle is essentially a vehicle to get from act one and to act three of anything that's why it became so and this was them but just trying to cut that out and just do the arriving at that boundary at that transition at that kind of layer that could go to anywhere Um, And the character of Kirk, the kind of the psychology that was building up to that was way more complex than the actual thing. And removing that into a standalone thing is, like, not a good idea, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the the Kirk character was very, kind of, internalised and very, like, all over the place in their head. And they were projecting things. And then this puddle was kind of an outlet, something to attach onto, to pile all their anxieties into. And it was just, like, this escape that they needed. And then they just applied... All importance onto it from whatever issues they were dealing with, and I think it would come out in later on, of the what is actually, after the puddle is kind of some kind of attempt to explain that process. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, the getting to the, the the state of mind of the cook character, having not being understood, became a, I wanted to, as a the- theatrical piece, it became about the act one and act three are not important. It's just about that vehicle to get there. Well, speaking of the puddle,
3: what what brought the idea of a puddle being the source of this obsession?
1: I I I like. I think I just like ideas that are just very contained in one thing and then drawing out of that. And I, I, I think it was whilst in the taxi, I was like, I want to write something. Puddle's a funny word. Let's go from there. This tends to be my creative process. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> when you started with the idea of the puddle, what you're talking about, you like this idea of something that's contained. Yeah was it something that you always envisioned as being like the this idea of like transition and and the kind of central thing or was it initially something that you wanted to in order to derive conflict between for example like tom and uh and cook and then it became the important thing like how
1: did that process work was it always like yeah um so the, i think the, the process kind of so i started with the puddle i think and then just was like how do i get there and then where does it take me and then by then i just yeah in the taxi because it was very uncomfortable i'm going to stress how uncomfortable this taxi (laughs) was i was just just trying to write and i was just like no editing just go just like writing these things from like five different people and um it would it, it I always just resort back to just trying to make weird little jokes in this kind of thing and seeing where it goes. And then I normally like ascribe kind of meaning and like depth after the fact. Do you find that you are
3: happiest with your writing when you have that kind of lockdown, just write, don't judge, keep going? Or do you end up sort of writing stuff that you're happier with when you kind of allow yourself to hit backspace during the process?
1: I think I'm happier when I, allow myself to like edit as I go but I was doing this as an explicit exercise of changing that habit and trying to just be like not editing as I go and just seeing where that took me in terms of just trying to by the end of this uncomfortable eight hours I would have something but then I got to the puddle part of it I was like what the fuck is the puddle what could it be what the fuck and I was like and then that kind of consumed me and then I was like actually what form could it take what I don't know I don't know it's yeah, it just kind of became then about what came after the puddle. But then trying to apply that to the stage was just impossible in terms of what the fuck could it be? I was playing around with lots of different ideas. I'm not sure if we'll come to that. Definitely. Or can yeah, so we'll leave that for now. But yeah it, was a, yeah, it was an interesting process of trying to just like get words on paper.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, we've spoken a little bit about some of the absurdity of, uh, well, particularly the puddle. Um, and some of the other, other elements. I think it would be a good time to listen to the next clip, which draws a bit more about that. Yeah.
0: Chest enters, holding a mop.
1: Where did you... Car. Oh, and... Why did you... Puddle. Okay. Again, why did you... Depth. Right. I guess that's better than what I was thinking.
0: As Tom and Dan look on, Chest approaches the puddle and plunges the mop and his arm into its depths. After a moment, he raises it. Dan's eyes light up.
2: I fucking knew it. Yeah, okay, fair enough, it's pretty deep. Yeah, this is all very deep. But we still have no idea what that depth means. Yes, Yes, we do. I said it didn't have a bottom, and it fucking doesn't. Of course it has a bottom. doesn't look like it has a bottom. Preach! It has to have a bottom. Has it top? Yes, Cook. it has to, it's got a top, so it has to have a bottom. But right, what if the top is actually the bottom, and the bottom is the top? Maybe we're at the bottom right now. Maybe the only way to get to the real top is to go in, to go through.
1: Right. (laughs) Um,
3: That gives us a flavour of like a few different things that I think are hallmarks of your writing. Yeah. Conceptual stuff, kind of philosophical things about like maybe it being an infinite puddle, breaking the boundaries of what's physically possible.
1: Yeah, I think what's probably important to... Not important, I'm not sure if any of this is important, but um, (laughs) what's... like will help is in terms of it was more about if you attach such importance to this thing and then you you're like just finding ways to reason out like this will this could mean something this could mean the thing i want it to mean and if you keep reasoning out then that'll like in this world which is kind of this whole thing is kind of defined by cook's perception and what this experience is like the chess character is entirely played out through cook's interpretation of what like he would be getting back and the world to an extent is as well so if this puddle can mean this thing that he wants it to mean then it will manifest as such so anything he can do to justify that like yeah. relationship to it and, and then it was just about playing out like that kind of if you pile so much into it then it will actually become that thing and then how that how the other people in that world who are not necessarily experiencing it as you are would then get drawn into that why don't we move to this next clip that's from the start of
3: scene two
0: scene two Dan is sitting at a table, centre stage. A letter waits for him. He opens it and reads.
2: We know you have many questions. We too have been over them countless times. Where are you? What is this place? Are you inside the puddle? Are you at the bottom of the puddle? Have you gone through the puddle and found yourself at a new top of a puddle as you yourself suggested earlier? Well, I'm sorry to say that we failed you. We can't offer answers. In all honesty, we couldn't really think of any truly life-changing reality that could be waiting for you here, wherever that may be. We had a lot of thoughts about what it could be, about what here could mean for you, about what this space could be, about what being inside the puddle could truly represent. We thought about hallucination, dragged out by the throes of death, including characters both real to you and fictitious. Santa Claus was in there at some point, we're not even joking. We thought about a return to some womb-like state surrounding you with deep red lights and the beat of a heart thudding out from the stage. But that would have been a bit shit, no matter how big our budget. So
0: I guess one thing to clarify is that at the end of scene one, yeah, yeah. Cook goes into the puddle. And so the, there's a, he goes into the puddle, blackout, and then this is the opening for scene two. But yeah,
1: Yes, yeah, so when I first wrote it in like the, the first version of it, it was like into the puddle. And I was like, what the fuck happens now? And that paragraph was, like, written and then just, like, the the paragraph of, like, action was written and then, like, deleted so many times. Well, at first I was going to take him on, like, some weird, like, Disney-esque journey where he'd meet, like, Jesus and Santa Claus and... I don't know, I just, just... I had no idea what it could be. And then, yeah, it just eventually just became about storytelling and the process of storytelling and this structure of that and... Whether you're in charge of it or fate or whatever, I don't, yeah, it was, that's kind of what it boiled down to in the end.
3: And uh, at the start of the scene, we've got quite a large tonal shift along with this kind of renewed focus on storytelling and what it means. Um, was there like one driving the other or did they just kind of like happen by happenstance or what happened there?
1: Um, I don't know. It was kind of, I think it was when I took it from the original version as like a longer potentially like either short film or filmy kind of version it just became about this is a middle bit of whatever these bits were whatever the act one and act three would be so then the after the puddle bit is just about it was just a way of explaining but it didn't really like the process of trying to figure out what the after the puddle state was was the after the puddle state and it was, that was, you, the idea is you never really know what's going to happen next. You, don't, you can't really predict what's going to come your way. You, so you've just got to kind of be present and deal with, It was kind of that was the kind of th- therapeutic response that I felt that the character probably needed
2: to kind of be able to forget about his anxieties and just continue.
0: On that, I think we should listen to
2: another clip. Ultimately, all that we wanted was to show the distinction between pre-puddle Dan and post-puddle Dan and the inherent need within pre-puddle-down for some boundary, some line, some event, to allow the transition into post-puddle-down, whatever that may be. This time, the driving pain we gave to you was something a girl did to you, and this something was something that was most likely your fault due, as earlier suggested by Tom, to your narcissism, a narcissism we built mostly on your expectation of pity for your condition. In previous versions, or longer versions, the driving pain behind your decision to come here has been something else, something entirely different. An inability to fit in, a lack of acceptance, a solipsistic disengagement from society or politics, the unfulfilled need to be loved. There's so many to choose from.
0: So yeah, so what we were just talking about, that idea of like this transition being really important, I think that articulates... Like quite well this
1: idea of pre puddle Dan post puddle Dan yeah yeah but yeah I would, would have been able to give a much better answer if I'd have reread the script <laughs> <laughs> prior to do this yeah yeah that's essentially what I've been trying to say for the past however long so since. but you did say it but just in yeah, writing. Yeah, yeah 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 see that's why that's why see people this is why writing is better than speaking <laughs>
0: I think one thing I'm interested in is like you're talking about this idea of like transition and like it's something that we were speaking about just before we were starting recording the podcast yeah. this this idea that like and that you need some change and that like I can totally understand that thing of like this thing becoming that fixation and that yeah. change being facilitated like yeah that is that, that is what
1: it's about yeah I've kind of lost sight of that um just forgot that that yeah it was is the attachment to something that will then give you the motivation to Make active change. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what came before, what after. You just need that thing, and I was just, yeah, I was exploring the idea of what that thing could mean, what it could be. Yeah,
3: and yeah. in the play, obviously, that's a puddle for the version of you.
1: It is a funny word, right? It's such a funny <laughs> word. I mean, shouldn't let's, let's, let's can we just say it five times? <laughs> shouldn't just... lose sight. Puddle, is puddle. Such a good word. Puddle. It's great. Puddle. Yeah. Puddle. Um, L-
2: and in. in a northern accent.
1: In a northern accent. With like spoken very emotively, which I was, I my dream was that people would passionately argue, and this like logical argument would play out in a very fast paced, emotive kind of back and forth. And I think it's lost. puddle
3: <laughs> comes out better than puddle. Puddle, yeah, yeah,
1: because it, it's it's a word that sounds like what it is. I think as well. You know what I mean? It's like it is a bit puddle. It sounds like you have stepped in one.
3: Yeah, a bit. A little, but it has like a poetry to it, you know. Um, sorry, so uh, I'm loving it for for puddle version of you. Yeah. Um, the puddle is this kind of like transitionary force. Yeah. Um, kind of sounds like, at least in part, for real. You writing can be this this kind of jolt to like get you somewhere. Um, obviously, you talk about this this cab trip being just kind of like just start go see what happens. Yeah. Um, do you, what what's your relationship to writing in that sense in terms of like obviously it's a process that you can just like drop into and anything can happen, but do you find it kind of like can be transitionary for you?
1: Definitely. I think it's definitely a way of being able to kind of just make sense of the kind of constant nonsense you get from every angle in every perceptual way that you're just trying to make trying to just make sense of what it means to exist and kind of exist moment to moment. And I don't think anyone has any real idea of what that is. And I think just trying to get some kind of like diary keeping or anything like that, just some kind of, just some kind of solid idea is no matter how ultimately false it is, which I think it always will be to some extent, because it's just an interpretation of various input. I don't know. I think it just helps to kind of just be. And I think riffing on that, you've
0: mentioned quite a few times so far in this interview that like you don't necessarily plan things and that things often start with a joke and and or like a, a series of jokes do you think on reflection that maybe part of the reason for that is in order to access that activity is because if you were to think about it and plan things that actually it would be too contrived and that you wouldn't be able to actually discover anything about yourself by going through the process of writing
1: definitely yeah i think and now like hearing even hearing like the end bit again um like the why we kind of i fed in the kind of meta kind of de- oh this is deep kind of stuff throughout it was a kind of probably just a call to like this shouldn't it's just not really it's a serious kind of thing at the core but we kind of joke around it and once you kind of get to the end it's, it's like once you get to this end bit you would then reinterpret everything that had came before like you'd you'd only only by the end would you, any audience actually realise what chest was only now we've told you before but like to an audience this kind of monotone kind of broad chested burly northern kind of like well yeah would be kind of understood in and everything would then be reinterpreted from the vantage point of the end of the play which again is something in everyday life we look back and reinterpret things in hindsight and we only make sense of things after the fact and so i'm not sure if i meant that but i I, it kind of makes some more sense of it i think probably been i've definitely meant it yeah let's say that i'm not sure if that's interesting or not or I think, whether I should move on, or oh, whether this is a quest to move on from that, I don't know. I
0: think, but that's the thing. I feel like for me, it just feels like there's a there's something really interesting about being interested in that space of transition, and it says something about uh, what you want as a writer and what you expect from your writing. In that you you're not coming to it with an expectation that what you're doing is telling people something really certain about who this character is or what they're like or how their life's going to go. You're not offering like a moral play. You're not offering like. Yeah. meaning in a very like kind of straightforward sense like that actually that you're engaged in this sort of these moments of of choice or not choice or the perception of choice yeah. and like yeah i just i think i think that's some, something that's quite interesting yeah i think that's a good thing it's yeah a good writer
1: cook. well i think that's all i can I struggle a lot just day to day in terms of like having a clear picture on what anything actually is which might i don't know it's kind of based on a number of things which we won't get into but yeah it's, I struggle to make a have a clear picture of just the total like experience of just like like just being alive and just trying to find I think any kind of thing that I write needs to represent that confusion and that kind of fracturedness of perceptual and cognitive experience that if anything has any real clarity it's not that real nothing is on um, um, the only reality comes from people's interpretations. And if you offer something fractured, people are going to interpret in a way anyway. And that's kind of open
2: to the audience interpretation, I guess.
3: Um, So I think we should move to the end and uh, see how it closes.
2: That's all the puddle is. It's just a new, new jacket. It's just a way to get from part one of your story, of any story, to a part three that you're happy with. What happened to you in part one, it's not that important. Not for your audience anyway. Although it would help to explain who Chest is, and who, or what, in your past he represents. I mean, he barely speaks, and when he does, it was weird. Equally, where you are right now, inside the puddle, or however you choose to understand your surroundings, is not strictly relevant. It is what you use this experience, this transition, for. As I'm sure you're by now aware, you have an audience watching you as you read this and although not the ending you or they may have wished for, but as an ending nonetheless, would you please address to them the following two questions, the same two questions that we failed to answer whilst writing your story. Firstly, if you found yourself dealing with an issue, something heavy, and you found yourself with the perfect puddle just as I did, what would you want to find down there? And secondly, If you decided to go into that puddle, and you found yourself in a different reality, facing an audience who had been watching your entire life up until that moment, what would you ask them? And that will be all.
0: Dan, confused, stares blankly into the audience. Fade to black. Would you like your audience to have firm conclusions?
1: No, I guess not. I guess it's up to them. You want you'd want to leave them with kind of the same predicament that you put the character in. But yeah, I think it just kind of like that kind of. I think the choice, if I remember correctly, the choice to have that as the kind of ending was a kind of last resort. Not last resort, but like the end of a process of elimination of everything else that wouldn't work. And then it was like, and then as it became more just about the storytelling process. I guess it was just about shifting that onto um, onto the audience in some way that kind of wrapped it up. I don't know.
0: I think it's an interesting thing for you as a writer to continue to reject giving answers to an audience. But yeah. actually, I think the thing that I really like about the fact that you don't give answers to an audience is that I think the reason you don't give answers to an audience isn't because you have them and you're hiding them, no. but precisely because you don't have them and you're naked. And that's the only kind
1: of truth we actually have is the, our openness to that like where the we're literally we're applying, we're group we're taking certain things and we're like this makes sense. I'll understand things in light of this thing, and I'll move on. But if you ever readdress it, you're like, what the fuck did that mean? And yeah, but yeah, yeah. So even now, I'm all the answers I gave in terms of the origin story and stuff like that. They're probably not that true in terms of what was actually the reasons and catalysts for making those decisions. So I now I'm unsure if anything I've said is actually the actual story of what this play came to be, um, yeah. And so,
0: um, audience, this podcast is in some ways functioning <laughs> as our own puddle, <laughs> and you are in a puddle yourselves, and that isn't because you've wet yourselves, it's because this podcast has, has immersed you yeah. in the depths of a of a Huddersfield puddle, yeah. so we're yeah. offering you that.
3: You're saying that we've wet the audience?
0: I feel like we have, in some ways, pissed on the audience. Yeah, it
1: does... Just feel a bit like that
0: so um the the question that we ask people right at the end of the podcast um which i came up with because it rhymes and that's my as a non-writer i get quite proud when i do things like that um we're calling uh the question hone it or disown it uh so basically having listened to this play having chatted with us about it what do you think is this something you go back to or is this a keep it in the bottom drawer and never look at
1: it again I'm leaning towards disown it, but I really don't know. You know, again, it's just this is all about, um, yeah. The theme of this episode is apparently not being aware of anything or <laughs> not having answers, but that in some sense being satisfying enough to call it a thing. Um, but so, I mean, I, I think I'm not sure what, what going back to it would entail and whether it would just be a. a more of the same, just trying to make it work and it never working. This is just a version of trying to make it work. It's kind of a comment on itself, which is kind of nice. <laughs> Maybe just leave it at that. I don't know. Uh, I think, so, yeah.
0: I think I think that... I'm what, interested
1: to see what you, what you guys
0: think. Well, I mean, I, I would say that, like, my instinct would be to say, I'm going to go with, I'm going to make a strong thing and I'm going to say, disown it, Purely because I think that the lessons that you can take from it and what you can take from it to go into a new direction, yeah. um, is something that could be embodied by writing anything because there's it because so much of this is plays with themes that you're interested in. So much of this um, works around ideas that you could work with, but the actual like facts of who the characters are and yeah. the situation isn't actually that important. No. And so it's something that I think will probably be present in things that you write in the future. But to actually go back and specifically work on this thing in yeah, particular, yeah. yeah, I think that is something that you wouldn't necessarily... Yeah, this, this
1: was more a fleshing out of an idea into something that could be performed. And I think it's more the idea that I'm attached to than this version of it. So yeah, I'd wholeheartedly agree I
3: think well uh, I'm shaking my head uh, <laughs> through through these answers um, but I'm outvoted two to one you're on team home Oh well, yeah but you have to I talk am, about it though even, uh, though, it's, uh, uh, even I, though it is completely here's irrelevant why I, all here. aboard the Hone
1: train <laughs>
3: <laughs> here's why I think you should, you should hone it I think um, obviously we didn't experience it in with, with these actors reading it off script for, for the first time
1: yeah I would really like to hear it I think I there's something, <laughs>
3: yeah, I think there's something going on with your voice that's really interesting. I think you've got very strong characters in there. Um, and I'm talking in a wider sense, like the the puddle as an object of obsession is really interesting. It works really well as an object because you can, as Cook in the play does, go through it. You can kind of wonder about its being because so much of it is hidden from you. Um, so I think it works really well as an object. Um, but in terms of the way I think you should hone it, I think kind of rewinding back to what you had before, the three-act structure that this is the second act of, I think that's where like the interesting stuff yeah. lies, not just in a way that you can then take what you've learned and put it into a new project, but I think there's something in the imagery that's in there, the characters that are in there, the voices that are in there, um, that that has something really interesting going on.
1: So, yeah i don't know
3: but you know two to one it's a democracy don't disown it disown it it. so closing up is there anything that you
1: want to let the listeners know about um the only kind of things uh, unlike the time when i when this play was written i now have a job so less time to do personal projects but um got a zine called man flag shandy um which would require another couple of hours to explain what that is <laughs> but if you um we've got a website manflagshandy.com i don't know just google manflagshandy that would be it. it's quite cheap it's quite weird again it's very hard to explain what it is um so yeah i don't know do that also got kind of a little also other sort of little offshoots that would be hosted on that site that are just kind of a little weird creative endeavors yeah
3: it's definitely a favorite of us here at the podcast and uh, i think of dirty rascals in general Man flag shandy, so yeah, definitely do check it out.
0: Yep, that's a it's a good thing. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> can we quote this on the website? The, uh, it's I like it. Uh, Dan likes it, and um, it's good. Do you
1: want to S- maybe spell
0: it? Spell, spell it. it. All right, we're going to spell it. This David. By the way, we haven't introduced David. David is our um, disembodied voice. Our disembodied voice. That's our,
3: it. No other information about David it. can be revealed.
0: Hello. It will be revealed incrementally every podcast. So uh, stay this is tuned. Let's tune in. Um, yeah. So man flag shandy is spelled man m a n flag f l a g and shandy s h a n d y
1: as one word. Yes. I'll give you a quick. I'm gonna try and attempt to explain it in like thirty seconds. Elevate All right. Pitch. Go on. Okay. Go. So is it's a thing that is trying to it's being born and it is then trying to understand why it exists, what it is, and what role it has in the world. This version of it that is a zine, so the zine itself or the magazine has been born, it then is trying to understand what it is as a magazine. It's for some reason having very weird effects on Mansfield, for some reason. There's um, some mops that are trying to take over the world through some kind of psychokinetic thing. but it's all quite coherent and all makes a lot of sense if you read it from cover to cover. So,
0: and on that, <laughs> um, we're gonna. I think we're gonna wrap up for today. Um, but thank you very much, uh, Dan, for taking part in this very fledgling, birthed, like early stages natal. I'm gonna keep talking cool. um, thing for us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. Uh, it's been great.
1: Oh, has it? I've enjoyed every moment. I've enjoyed
0: most of the moments. All the moments. Um, cool. Sick one. How do you end a podcast? Credits. Our actors for this episode were Tom McQueen, Howard Horner, Karen Gill, and Pavlos Christodoulou. Sound engineering, editing, and design was by David Denyer. Produced by Pavlos Christodoulou and Daniel Spicer, and executive produced by Jeremy Wong and Dirty Rascals Theatre. <laughs>
2: pa pa pa